The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a scholar of the law, tested him by asking, Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. The Gospel of the Lord. So we hear in the Gospel today how Jesus had just silenced the Sadducees, but we never heard that in the previous Gospels over the, the past weeks. We've been hearing about the kingdom of God, about who is welcome in the kingdom of God, who will be there. He's talking to the chief priests and the elders, and he keeps letting them know that their presumption is actually not very good. It's, it's not a safe thing for them to have. So what we didn't hear between last Sunday's gospel and this Sunday's gospel is the encounter with the Sadducees. Now really briefly, the Sadducees, they uh, were people who denied and rejected the resurrection. So they only focused on the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. And they, uh, they go to him and they say, like, can, you, can you prove to us the resurrection is real? And Jesus quotes then from, from Exodus, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowd heard this, they were astonished. So that's the context of what you heard at the beginning there. That's the continuation because before that encounter, what we heard last week, Pharisees and Herodians tried to trap Jesus. They tried to uh, get him to, to goof up so that they could reject his teachings. If he favored the law, uh, then the Romans, you know, the Jews would revolt. And if he favored the Jews, then the Romans would arrest him and blah, 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 blah. Today, we go back to the Pharisees. And again, they're trying to trick him. So we've got <laughs> these three encounters of trying to trick or trap Jesus. And it's, it's just not going to work. But today they're asking about the law. And so the scholar of the law, it's fascinating, what he's referring to is the Mosaic law. Now when we think of the law, maybe we think of the Ten Commandments, we hear about two today, but the Mosaic law contained 613 laws. 613. So he's saying, all right, Jesus, which one's the most important? Out of 613. And without batting an eyelash, Jesus just goes right into it. Love the Lord your God, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And again, he's quoting Old Testament. He's quoting Deuteronomy here. Now, what's, what's fascinating is these two commandments, love God, love your neighbor, is really a summation of the Ten Commandments. Because the Ten Commandments, if we break them down, the first three all deal with relationship with God. Have no other gods above me. Keep, uh, do not use my name in vain. Keep holy the Sabbath. All about God. The next seven are all about neighbor, all about relationships. Honor father and mother. Don't kill people. Don't commit adultery. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't cheat. Don't 
don't do all those things. And when, again, we hear the laws, we think, oh, they're so restrictive. Oh, I can't do all those other fun things like murder people and, you know, commit adultery and lie my way out of stuff. Sure, if you're a psycho. But Jesus is saying the commands, the laws, actually give us greater freedom. And so when he highlights the greatest are these two, and the whole law and the whole prophets depend on them, there's something to be said there. Now when we think about this concept of love, love is, in our English language, so confusing. Because I'm sure there's people out there who have a favorite sport team that they love. And I'm sure that there's probably a, a favorite food that people love. And I'm sure that there's probably a family member that they don't really care for, but yet they love them. And those types of love, those degrees, should not be the same. And luckily, the Greek highlights the differences for us. The Greek gives us four words for love. It gives us storge, which is like the familial love. It gives us philia, uh, the brotherly close friend love. Eros, the romantic intimate love. And agape, the unconditional love. What I want to propose is that all four of those loves are seen throughout Scripture in this way. The storge, the familial love, I think we could say would be like Mary and Joseph. Adam and Eve, Noah and his family. Take literally any familial element in Scripture, and that would be storge. But also, this familial love is for all of us, because we're a family of God. We are bonded together not through anything biological, but through the blood of Christ. So we become a family. So we're meant to express love in that way. The philia, the close friends or the brotherly love, often can be looked at as the disciples with Jesus. Um, again, probably like the key love that is meant for all of us with our neighbor, hence the second commandment he gives, like love your neighbor. The third, eros, is where it probably gets, not confusing, but we have to kind of broaden the, the scope a little bit. So this romantic, passion, intimate love is not just meant to be sexual, it's meant to be a love that's seen in and through marriage as a sacrament, as a vocation, but also through the vocation of the priesthood, the consecrated virgin, the religious sister and brother. Because this intimate, passionate love is where I give my whole heart to another. We see that in marriage, two spouses, beautiful. But for the priest, that sister, that virgin, that brother, who do they give their whole heart to? but to God. So that Eros love has to be seen in a little different way. And then agape, unconditional, most beautifully witnessed for us in the sacrificial sense of Jesus on the cross. So we can, so, we can tell now when we look at Scripture, we look at the world, that there are different types of love. This is helpful. But still the question is, if I'm called to love God with all of my heart, all of my mind, all of my soul, and my neighbor as myself, how do I do that? Well, some more information. There are uh, love languages for us. And we probably know this without having the vocabulary, but the love languages get narrowed down to five. There's physical touch, quality time, acts of service, gift giving, and words of affirmation. Again, how can we relay these to our faith, to Jesus, and the church? 
Well, physical touch, those people that need a hug, people that like, like that bond, I think could be argued as the sacraments, where Jesus gives us physical encounter, right? In confession, where we get to hear the voice of God say, I absolve you from your sins. In the Eucharist, where we get to gaze upon, adore him, and actually consume him into our very body, where he takes over us. Quality time. I mean, how simple could that be except adoration and prayer? Lord, I'm going to give you myself in this time of just being present. Acts of service probably could be the corporal spiritual works of mercy, how we care for other people in that sense. Gift giving, again, gift giving and, quality, or, uh, gift giving and acts of service can sometimes get mixed together, but gift giving can be stewardship. So, yeah, my time, my talent, my treasure. And then words of affirmation. Scripture. God, who is Jesus, the Word, right, loves us and speaks to us these words of affirmation. You are my beloved child. I love you. And so we can see that now I have these different levels of love, types of love. I have these ways in which I can encounter love. But there's one I want to highlight more than anything else. And it's probably one that's not talked about too often. And it's a virtue. And it's a virtue every single person in this church and that lives is called to live by. And the virtue is chastity. Chastity is this, defined by the catechism. A moral virtue, which under the cardinal virtue of temperance, that deals with our self-control, provides for the successful integration of sexuality within the person leading to the inner unity of the body and spiritual being. Because we probably should remember that we are a body and soul composite, that we two become one. And so if it's a moral virtue, it has to deal with my morality, how I'm called to act. It's under my self-control, and it's the successful integration of my sexuality. We all, by our nature, have a sex, a gender, male, female, and within that then a sexuality. That doesn't go away, that doesn't change, but it needs to be integrated with my body and my spirit as one. So chastity then, going on further, is man's belonging to the bodily and biological world, and it's expressed through the personal and true human when integrated into relationships. So chastity allows me to actually function at my best in the world with other people. Okay. And it's the complete and lifelong gift of man and woman seen through marriage. So further on, people should cultivate chastity in a way that is suited to their state of life. I said, everyone this applies to. And yet, there's ways in which we cultivate it most perfectly based off of what we're doing with our lives. So some profess virginity and consecrated celibacy, and that enables them to give themselves to God alone with an undivided heart in a remarkable manner. Others live in the way prescribed for all by the moral law, whether they are married or single. And married people are called to live conjugal chastity while others practice chastity and continence. So all of this, right, is actually meant to be for us love. How do I best love others in the world and love my neighbor and love God with all my heart, my mind, my soul? 
by living the virtue of chastity, I integrate my body and soul so that they're not two divided forces trying to like just obtain the hormonal desires or contend with the uh, purity of whatever, but instead they're one. So they're meant to be happy. They help me to relate to other people so that I don't just see people as a means to an end, but that they have value and dignity because they themselves have a personhood, have a, a gift and identity as a son or daughter to God, a brother or sister in Christ. And in particular, that chastity lived out based off our state of life um, is seen beautifully through then people. So for a priest who is a celibate, who has said, yes, I will give that up. I will surrender that in order to have this. And here's the thing. You get everything of me. And nothing is ever withheld from you by me because my heart is to the Lord. And then he says, give it back to them. That's the gift of celibacy. I love my celibacy. I love the virtue of chastity. It's not always easy. It's not always, um, it, it, it's confusing to the world. And here's an example. This time of year is both beautiful and quite challenging for me. I went into Harry's on Friday night. Just going to go get some food. No big deal. I walk in. I'm in my priest garb. Bar's full. This woman looks at me. Just Motions me to come over. I'm like, all right, Lord, here we go. Right? She says, um, so we are wondering, is that a costume or is that real? <laughs> no, I, I'm a real priest. I, my, I told my mom this, and she said, you need to just get a piece of, like, ply, ply board or something that says, not a costume, real priest, you know? So I said, no, I'm, I'm a real priest. Oh, where are you a priest at? St. Bernard's in Wabash. Really? Yeah, I'm Catholic. And I said, really? <laughs> I haven't seen you around. But then I said, well, that's awesome. It's so nice to meet you. Come to Mass this weekend. If they're here right now, awesome. Thank you. If you came last night, great. If you're not here, well, we'll pray for you. But then I, I go off to sit by myself at the table as I want to do because when I eat, I eat by myself. And it's fine. I, again, I'm fine with that. That's not a problem. Well, five minutes later, she comes up to me. Um, Father, I just got to know. Uh, are you lonely? Do you, do you want to come sit with us? Do you have dinner with us? And I look and like, there's nowhere for me to sit. I'm like, it's okay. It's totally fine. But this is not the first time that's ever happened. This is not, and it won't be the last. People in the world cannot grasp the concept of celibacy in the priesthood or religious life. And so the more I can express the beauty of it, the more I'm, I'm going to. But that, I think, chastity, which is the root of it all, is where we, as a society, better love people. We can better love others because in chastity and in celibacy for, for some vocations, we no longer seek after the sexual gratifications. Like, there's a temperance to that, which is 
why I talked about in the eros love, that romantic, passion, intimate love, it's not only sexual by nature. It's actually like we have to re- re-examine intimacy. Intimacy is a deep, deep giving of my heart to another out of, out of care, out of love, out of protection even. And so my intimacy with the Lord is, is different because of my celibacy. If I was married, I wouldn't be able to do probably 80% of the things I do. I wouldn't be able to give myself in the way that I give myself. But because of celibacy, my heart is not to just one individual, but it's to hundreds. And, and you get that. You get the best of me, the worst of me. You get everything of me. So this chastity is, is really, I think, the source of love to loving our neighbors. To live out those five love languages, to live out those different understandings of, of love as itself. But Paul gives us a beautiful reminder of what love is in Corinthians. Right? He says, you could have all of the power, all of the fame, all of the knowledge, all of the wisdom, but if you don't have love, you're just a sounding gong, you're just a clashing gong. And then he says, love is patient, and it's kind, and it's not jealous, and it's not boastful, and it's not arrogant, and it's not rude. Love does not insist on its own. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at the wrong things, but rejoices at the right things. Love bears things, it believes things, it hopes, it endures. So in a world right now that is full of imperfect and disordered love, because we are imperfect and disordered, love that seeks the selfish care of the individual, isn't it refreshing to love for something or someone other than ourselves? I think so. So I found some quotes about love. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Martin Luther King Jr. Love is sharing your popcorn. Charles Schultz. This one I had to do some fact-finding on. Better to have loved and lost than to have never loved at all. It's actually attributed to St. Augustine. I did not know that. I thought it was a different author. Love is an irresistible desire to be irresistibly desired. Robert Frost. And then, thankfully, the very last quote of 120 quotes. A new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another, Jesus Christ. He made the list. The last one, but he made it. So how, do, again, how do we see it? Well, love is all, all around us, right? Love is caring for your spouse who is immobile and slowly dying before your eyes. Love is praying for friends and events in the world that are nowhere near us. Love is serving without being asked. Love is taking communion to the homebound, forgiving people who have hurt us, saying no sometimes because that's more loving than just allowing a person to continue on a negative path. Love is trying, every day trying. Love is waiting to offer us mercy in the confessional. 
and love is longing to become a part of us through communion. And I guarantee that we've all experienced love in its perfection. We've probably experienced love in something less than. And so we shouldn't try to take love. We shouldn't try to force love. And we shouldn't abuse love. We shouldn't manipulate love for our own particular needs or ends. And yet we do. And so when it comes to loving God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, we must seek to love perfectly, not manipulating to our particular agenda, not forcing or abusing or taking when we shouldn't, but loving sacrificially as he loved on the cross, loving intimately as he loves through his religious and and consecrated, loving uh, brotherly as we do our neighbor, loving our family who can be most challenging, loving through the physical and the emotional, loving in a way that allows others to know that they are seen, heard, and known, loving so that we give everything without counting a cost. Because love removes hate. Love allows us to be desired. Love is even sharing in the small, simple things and joys. So our challenge, live the commandment and live it as if we know it to be true. God and in my neighbor. And when we do that, and we do that with that virtue of chastity, we will love as Christ loves us.